Amos chapter 8, starting at verse 4. Hear this, you who trample the needy and do away with the, power, with the poor of the land, saying, When will the new moon be over, that we may sell grain, and the Sabbath, Sabbath be ended, that we may market wheat? Skimping on the measure, boosting the price, and cheating with dishonest scales. Buying the poor with silver, and the needy for a pair of sandals. Selling even the sweepings with the wheat. The Lord has sworn by himself, the pride of Jacob. I'll never forget anything they have done. Will not the, not, will not the land tremble for this, and all who live in it mourn? The whole land will rise like the Nile. It will be stirred up and then sink like the river of Egypt. In that day, declares the sovereign Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I'll turn your religious festivals into mourning and all your singing into weeping. I'll make all of, your, all of you wear sackcloth and shave your heads. I'll make that time like mourning for an only son and the end of it like a bitter day. The days are coming, declares the Sovereign Lord, when I'll send a famine through the land, not a famine of food or a thirst of water, for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. In that day, the lovely young women and strong young men will faint because of thirst. Those who swear by the son of Samaria, who say, as surely as your God lives, Dan, or as surely as the God of Beersheba lives, they'll fall, never to rise again. I saw the Lord standing by the altar, and he said, Strike the tops of the pillars so that the thresholds shake. Bring them down on the heads of all of the people. Those who are left I'll kill with a sword. Not one will get away. None will escape. Though they dig down to the depths below, from there my hand will take them. Though they climb up the heavens above, from there I will bring them down. Though they hide themselves on the top of Carmel, there I will hunt them down and seize them. Though they hide from my eyes at the bottom of the sea, there I will command the serpent to bite them. Though they are driven into exile by their enemies, there I will command the sword to slay them. I will keep my eye on them for harm and not for good. The Lord, the Lord Almighty, he touches the earth and it melts. And all who live in it mourn. The whole land rises like the Nile, then sinks like the river of Egypt. He builds his lofty palace in, hev- in the heavens and sets its foundation on the earth. He calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out over the face of the land. The Lord is his name. Are not you Israelites the same to me as the Cushites, declares the Lord? Did I not bring Israel up from Egypt? the Philistines from Kaphtor, and the Arameans from Kerr. Surely the eyes of the sovereign Lord are on the sinful kingdom. I will destroy it from the face of the earth, yet I will not totally destroy the descendants of Jacob, declares the Lord. For I'll give the command, and I'll shake the people of Israel among all the nations, as grain is shaken in a sieve, and not a pebble will reach the ground. All the sinners among my people will die by the sword, All those who say, disaster will not overtake or meet us. In that day, I'll restore David's fallen shelter. I'll repair its broken walls and restore its ruins and will rebuild it as it used to be so that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations that bear my name, declares the Lord. He will do these things. 
The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills, and I'll bring my people Israel back from exile. They'll rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They'll plant vineyards and drink their wine. They'll make gardens and eat their fruit. I'll plant Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted from the land I have given them, says the Lord your God. This is God's word. Good evening. Uh, Welcome. My name's Matt, if we've not met. And uh, we're finishing the book of Amos tonight. And if you're joining us for the first time in Amos, it may not be a bad one. In the Amos is nine chapters of judgment, and then five verses of hope at the end. So you get the nice stuff. Uh, And uh, for those of us who've been here through it all, well, we may be relieved to get to the uh, the verses somewhat explicit uh, on the hope that God promises in this book. Should we pray? And then we'll look at it together. Our Father, please give us ears to hear rightly this evening what we need to hear. As we come to a passage, the climax in many ways of this book, we ask that your word does its work. And so for those of us who need warning, we'd be warned. For those of us who are in desperate need of encouragement, we would be encouraged by the truths that are here. Father, please would your word be at work in us, we ask. By your spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder if you're ready for the big day. Whatever that is. Um, It could be anything, can't it? The sort of the big day. I mean, it could be a a contest, uh, a final, Olympic final, football final, whatever it is, a big day, first test, uh, next Saturday morning, whatever. Big day. Are you ready for the big day? It could be a celebration. I guess most commonly the big day refers to a wedding day. You ready for the big day or or a big birthday? Turning 18 feels significant. You can do all sorts of things that you couldn't do before. Uh, Turning 27 is less exciting, I guess, of a big day. It was a friend's 50th yesterday. That felt like quite a big day for him. He was having a bit of a wobble about that. Uh, Knocking up half a century. He wasn't so pleased. Um, But, um, you know, you ready for the big day? I guess it could be a reckoning. Your final exam. The day when you have to stand in court. Could be a whole number of things. The big day can be any number of sort of days. And that was true for Israel. Here when Amos is preaching to them. In the middle of the 8th century BC. The day that they're waiting for. Well it's wonderful and it's shocking. And terrifying. It just slightly depends where you stand. But um, it's a big day we come to for these last couple of chapters of Amos. People back then, they believed then in the day of the Lord. And uh, repeatedly, you get references, uh, we had it tonight, chapter 8, verse 3, in that day. Uh, Chapter uh, 8, verse 9, in that day. Day, perhaps different. We'll come to it. Uh, verse eleven: the days are coming. Verse thirteen: in that day, and then we get slightly differently towards the end. Chapter nine, eleven: in that day. So, if you were an Israelite in uh, about seven hundred and forty BC, you're expecting the day of the Lord. That is a day when uh, uh, you get vindicated, and your nation, which has suffered at the hands of others, 
uh, is triumphant and all your enemies are, are, are penalized. That's the day you're expecting, but it's not going to go quite that well. Two surprises, really, for the Israelites. One, God is actually going to be against them because of the lack of justice in their nation. And secondly, the day of the Lord that they're expecting turns out to be multiple days. And um, it's worth thinking that through. So on the bottom of your sheets, or perhaps even on the screen, I scribbled uh, this. So for the Israelites, what's the day of the Lord? Well, most of the references in the book of uh, Amos and and, uh, what we'll look at tonight, our passage tonight, the day of the Lord, well, that was going to be a day of judgment. That's the day of darkness, the day of earthquake, the day of eclipse that we'll look at in a moment. It's a day of judgment. And that came true about 20 years later. 722 uh, uh, BC, Assyria invades Israel and wipes it off the map, gone. Never to be seen again, that nation of Israel. Now, there's another day, another one, a little bit later. You might say the return from exile. Now, it's not quite the case. Uh, Forgive me if I go quickly here, but uh, Israel itself had been split into two. There's the nation of Israel in the north, ten kingdoms. The nation of Judah in the south, two kingdoms. Uh, and technically, it's Judah, but let's just for our purposes tonight, to keep it simple as much as we can, um, there was going to be a positive day. Actually, despite the fact that the nations have been destroyed, in 539 BC, they're brought back into the promised land. And they flourish a little bit again. So there's that day. But for us, reading it at such a long distance, I guess we're primarily concerned with these other two. There's a far day in the future, the cross. That's the day of darkness. That's the day of earthquake in 33 AD. That's when God's judgment falls upon Jesus Christ. And subsequent to that, as the church grows across the world, that's as the nations bear God's name in the church. We'll get there in chapter 9. And there's a final day. A day when we're planted, the far hopeful future you might go, the day when we're planted in the new creation never to be uprooted. Can't put a date to that one because I'd be a heretic if I did, all right? So let's not, I'm not saying when Jesus returns it is that day. Let's call it the 21st of June, 2017. No, let's not do that. Okay. Not allowed to do that. But it's a day in the far future, okay? So the day of the Lord. For Israel, it's their destruction. It is, there's some moderate hope when they go back in. For us, as we look at it, primarily it's the day of the cross and the day when Jesus Christ returns. But the day stretches out a little bit. Okay, you've got to get that to understand what he's saying. So let's look at it in these three ways. So I think uh, I'm going to look at three days. The first two are in fact the same. So there's a day of reckoning, 8, 4 to 14, which is also the same day of no escape, chapter 9, 1 to 10, but that's the emphasis there. And then there's a later day of restoration, 9, 11 to 15. So three days, but the first two are in fact the same. A day of reckoning, a day of no escape, a later day of restoration. All right? Let's look at them. First, there's a day of reckoning, chapter 8, verse 4 to 14. Now, if you were here, this is the, um, we're going to get in a moment, in chapter 9, verses 1 to 10, you get the fifth of five visions that Amos has. They start in chapter 7, and there were two pairs, two destructive visions, then two judicial visions. The last of them is in chapter 8, verse 3, and then we have to wait till the end, to the beginning of chapter 9, and there's a big pause. Uh, It slightly functions as a dramatic pause. Before we get to the final vision, which has no pair, because it's, it's the end, let's just pause 
draw together some of the issues that the Lord has been saying in the book of Amos. And in many ways, we're back to the chief complaint here in verses four to six of the whole book. Hear this, says the Lord. Hear this, you who trample the needy and do away with the poor of the land, saying, quote, now, it's a bit different here because actually he's quoting merchants, uh, salesmen. The rest of the book is being, is sort of, uh, being critiquing the, the, the super affluent uh, in their penthouses and their gated communities, etc. Here he's talking about merchants, but it's still the same essential complaint. Quote, here is what they're saying. When will the new moon be over that we may sell grain and the Sabbath be ended that we may market wheat? Skimping on the measure, boosting the price, cheating with the dishonest scales, buying the poor with silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, selling even the sweepings with the wheat. Well, they're not very pleasant characters. Very striking what the Lord says they're trying to do, verse four. Hear this, you who trample the needy and do away with the poor of the land. They they just don't want the poor near them. How's that going to work? Well, verse 5. There they are, sat in church saying, when will church be over? So we can go to Shepherd's Market and have a drink. They're not saying that, okay? Uh, You may be saying that. It's not the same issue as what's here. They're saying, when will church be over so we can get back to work? And what's the work they love? Dishonest work. So skimping on the measure... So they're buying grain and their scales are dicky. So, uh, you know, they're buying 20, whatever, sacks of wheat uh, for, the, for the price of 16. But then they sell it on uh, at a much greater inflated profit. They're cheating. But here's the striking thing, verse 6. They're buying the poor with silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Remember I said before, normally sandals, are, uh, that's when a property is exchanged. So essentially they're foreclosing on poor people's property to steal their property, is what it's saying. God says, you're trying to do away with the poor of the land. How are they doing it? Well, people are so poor that they're having to sell themselves into slavery, according to verse 6. This is a quote, verse 6. So here a group of people sat in church, merchants saying, oh, for goodness sake, when can we get out of church so we can get on with our dubious business so we can buy people? We don't want want poor people around us. We're going to own them and make them work for us. That's what they're thinking sat in church. That is unpleasant, to put it mildly. I don't know what you've thought, it certainly struck me again this week, that the book of Amos and its relentless accusation, I mean, just turn back, you just look across the page, chapter 6, verse 6 here, the affluent in Amos' day. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago, chapter 6, verse 6, you drink wine by the bowl fill and use the finest lotions, but you don't grieve over the ruin of Joseph. You just don't do that. It was highly contemporary, doesn't it? As people, look, let's not prejudge what, what has happened, what hasn't happened uh, in the fire in Grenville Tower this week. But I imagine it's going to emerge at some point that, yeah, okay, we didn't put the materials we should have done, probably. 
Maybe, maybe we were just about within existing building regulations. Maybe, maybe, and that'll be particularly unpopular if that turns to be the outcome, that actually everyone did sign off on everything. It's just that buildings regulations weren't tough enough. That won't go down so well. But if it's the case, well, yeah, let's not fuss too much. Let's save a little bit of money on these cladding. If that's what it turns out to be, well, that's pretty much on the money, I, I think, really, for Amos an element of some living in pretty high affluence, luxury, but pretty indifferent to the worries, the anxieties, the concerns of the poorest in their community. This feels highly contemporary in the accusations and the frustration that Amos expresses. The Lord's response is verse 7. The Lord has sworn by himself the pride of Jacob. I will never forget anything they've done. The Lord swears by himself. That is his equivalent to getting out the big yellow highlighter pen and saying, hey, everyone, notice... I am so, I don't break my promises, says the Lord, but I am so determined that you realize how important this one is. I'm going to swear by myself, just so you get, I really mean this. I will never forget anything they've done to you. That is a supreme consolation. If you have suffered injustice and cannot secure redress, in this world. I will never forget anything, says the Lord. Uh, verses 8 to 10, you get two, two pictures of creation collapsing, almost in catastrophe and grief. If there's an earthquake and there's an eclipse, verse 8. Will not the land tremble for this, and all who live in it mourn? The whole land will rise like the Nile. It will be stirred and then sink like the river of Egypt. It's earthquake. Same as chapter 9, verse 1. I think it's a picture. Strike the tops of the pillars so that the threshold shake. It's earthquake. Chapter 9, verse 5. Highly visual. The Lord, the Lord Almighty touches the earth and it melts. I think earthquake language. No great surprise. We were told all the way back in, our, uh, in chapter 1 verse 1 that this was two years before the earthquake, the earthquake that devastated the land. So there was a warning before the actual day of Assyria and judgment came. There's earthquake and there's eclipse. Darkness. Verse 9, in that day declares the sovereign Lord, I'll make the sun go down at noon, darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your religious festivals into mourning and all your singing into weeping. I will make all of you wear sackcloth and shave your heads. I will make that time like mourning for an only son. The end of it like a bitter day. The Lord is saying, Israel, what did you expect? That this could go on indefinitely? It's a bit like in one says you poor, weak example, but you take out a new credit card with a crazy, crazy limit on it, uh, which they seem to throw at you these days. And you go, well, brilliant. Uh, and you spend 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 and you get a car and um, a boat. 
because they're useful in London. Uh, and you spend and you spend and you spend and you have meals out here, there and everywhere. Uh, and the bill comes back uh, at the end of the first month and it's £15,000. Not a very expensive boat. £15,000. And you think, I, I, I have no way of paying that. But what do you expect? It's all free? It doesn't work that way. Israel, what do you expect? You could just act immorally and it was okay? You could just flagrantly break all my laws and think we get away with it? What do you expect? There is a reckoning. If you don't pay your bill, eventually the bailiffs will come. They'll nick your stuff. Not nick it. They'll possess your stuff. They'll take your house, your property. If you own one. Eventually, there's a reckoning. And as I say, this happened for Israel in the year 722 BC. The Assyrian army invaded and the land trembled. And darkness covered the land with smoke. And there was mourning for many died. 11 to 14 take a slightly different route. And there's a different sort of judgment in 11 to 14. Uh, It's a famine of God's word. It's a bit different. Uh, Verse 11. The days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I'll send a famine through the land. Not a famine of, of food or of thirst or of water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. Think it's probably progressive. So eight to ten, there's a judgment. Israel at this point think, well, what have we been doing? We've been crazy. We've been relying on our own resources. We thought our, our, our big houses and our military would protect us. What have we been doing? Let's go to the Lord. Anyone? Anyone remember what it says in the scriptures? Anyone able to preach? And there's no one. It's not when it says there's, there's a famine of the word of the Lord. It's not that someone's nicked all the Bibles. I go to my bookshelf sometimes and think, who's stolen my books? You know, if that's you, just this is an amnesty week. Just return my books. There's a lot of missing. It's not that people have stolen the books. No one's preaching the word of God at that moment in time. I think it's progressive. I think that's after verses 8 to 10. I think it's after, in one sense, when Assyria is invading, people are desperate at that moment in time. And yet there is an ambiguity here. Do you see, throughout the passage, it's on that day or in that day, in that day. Verse 11, the days are coming. It's a plural. There's a certain ambiguity. It doesn't quite fit into the timeline in the same way. Maybe that's deliberate. Because maybe Amos is saying, do you know what? Do you get that at other points in history? Maybe. Maybe we experience in part, I wonder... A, a, a famine of the word of God today. There are plenty of churches in the UK, but the majority of them, I, that's a harsh thing to say, but I wonder if it's true. The majority of them, you can wander in and they may read the Bible, but you'll certainly get a famine of truth when anyone stands up because they give you their own thoughts, but not the Lord's. I wonder. Certainly the consequence, well, verse 12, people will stagger from sea to sea. And in particular, who's highlighted is the young people. Verse 13, in that day, the lovely young men, the strong young men, sorry, lovely, verse 13, in that day, the lovely young women and strong young men will faint because of thirst. Why in particular the young people? Well, he may just be saying even the young, the strongest. But I think the staggering, I think the emphasis is there because, well, to be honest, 
if there's a famine of the word of God, young people are particularly ready for new things, new experiences, a bit more open to new spiritual stuff, a little more taken in, more readily. When there's a famine of the word of God, the vacuum gets filled. And so people swear by, well, all these things. It's not entirely clear what they are. If you, the sin of Samaria, well, that was just, if it's the, the natives of the land, that was just a rampant materialism. Uh, as surely as your God lives, Dan. Well, Dan, like Bethel, was where one of the golden calves was. So maybe he's saying, oh, look, if you give up on the word of God, well, some, will, some of the young people in particular will drift to a rampant materialism and they'll find their sense of meaning in that. Others will, will want religious certainty and they'll want sort of visual things they can see and touch and smell. He, he may well be saying that. I guess the point is this. There's a day of reckoning coming. It'll involve a famine of the word of God. And for you and me now, we want to cherish God's word and certainly not allow for ourselves there to be a famine. But the Lord says there's a day of reckoning. And there remains another day of reckoning when Jesus Christ returns. And if you want there to be justice, and if you've not known it in this life, that is a very good thing. You see this week, of course, there is rage and not to be condoned, but violent anger at what's taken place, at what is perceived as indifference and injustice and gross inequality. But of course, in the UK, there will be an inquiry. And we would hope if there are obviously culpable people, they will be brought to justice. And that is a blessing of living under the rule of law. But if you haven't got those things, and there are plenty of places in the world where they don't exist, you just suck it up. Plenty of places in the world where there'll be no inquiry. If you're at the hands of injustice of a Robert Mugabe, of a Kim Jong-un, of a Bashar al-Assad, there'll be no inquiry. Of a Chairman Mao, but Joseph Stalin and Adolf Hitler, there's no inquiry. Many of them thought, will there be justice? I'll never forget what they've done, says the Lord. Never. That's a good thing. There's a day of reckoning. More briefly, uh, the same day is a day of no escape. Chapter 9, verses 1 to 10. No escape. So verses 1 to 4 are the vision the actual vision, the, the, the fifth vision. And the stress comes on this, there's no escape. Um, uh, verse one. I saw the Lord standing by the altar. He said, strike the tops of the pillars so the thresholds shake. Bring them down on the heads of all the people. Those who are left, I'll kill with the sword. No one will get away. None will escape. None. Oh, you can try and hide anywhere, verse two. They'll dig down to the depths below. From there, my hand will take them. They'll climb up to the heavens above. From there, I'll bring them down. They'll hide themselves in the top of Carmel, the highest mountain around in the region. I'll hunt them down and seize them. They'll hide from my eyes at the bottom of the sea. I'll command the serpent to bite them. There is no escape. When the Lord says, I will remember everything, that is for everyone. 
Of course, these days, no one tries to escape geographically from God. That'd be a silly thing to do. You just try and do it philosophically. So people will say, I don't need to believe in God. There's no evidence for him. There's much evidence. If you choose to look at the creation, at why there's a moral sense of right and wrong and how that can be. Oh, there's plenty of evidence if you choose to look. I don't need to think about Jesus Christ. People say he's a myth. No. There isn't a professional historian on the planet who would agree with you on that. People will try and hide philosophically. But as it says here, there is no escape. Don't forget who the Lord is, verses 5 and 6. And verse 7, you Israelites, you're not going to escape. You think you're special. You're just the same as the Cushites, that is Ethiopians. I'll treat you no differently, you realize. Verse 8, surely the eyes of the sovereign order on the sinful kingdom, I'll destroy it from the face of the earth, yet I'll not totally destroy the descendants of Jacob, declares the Lord. I'll give the command and I'll shake the people of Israel among the nations as grain is shaken in a sieve and not a pebble will reach the ground. Well, here is the truth that Amos has been saying throughout. It's sort of hints of breadcrumbs. Here it gets most explicit. The whole reason the book of Amos is preached, God is coming to destroy Israel, is so that a remnant genuinely return to him. That is the whole purpose of the book. If you were here, we had it chiefly in chapter 5. Seek, seek me, seek me. There in the beginning of chapter 7, we saw last time, Lord, don't destroy all of them. I won't, says the Lord. The whole point is, I'm coming to destroy Israel, but if you turn to me, if you seek me, and if that's obvious, well, there'll always be some. There'll be a genuine remnant, a genuine set of believers. It'd be like going in a sieve. Now, I don't know how many of you cook with a sieve. Uh, I'm aware from observing that you put something like flour in and uh, you give it a shake and the good stuff comes out and the bad stuff you don't want gets left behind. I use sieves for draining pasta. That's not very good. It clogs them up and I get told off. But um, still the same principle, I guess. Water comes through, stuff you want remains behind. Okay, That's what the Lord is saying. There is a, an assessment going on. But no one will escape, you see. Verse 10, all the sinners among my people will die by the sword. All those who say disaster will not overtake or meet us. So do you see the distinction? There'll be some who say, we seek you, Lord. We find our security in you, Lord. And they will be safe. But everyone who says, no, no, there's no disaster coming to us. They'll fall through the sieve. For you and me today, Well, if you read the New Testament, it's hard not to view this as a description of Good Friday, particularly those verses in chapter 8. There's an earthquake, and verse 9, I'll make the sun go down at noon, darken the earth in broad daylight, I'll turn your religious festivals into mourning, I'll make that time like mourning for an only son. Well, Good Friday was the day when midnight uh, uh, darkness came at midday. All the people are gathered for the religious festival of Passover. When Jesus Christ died, the ground is split open. There's an earthquake. 
And it is a day as if the father mourns for his only son, who he loved, but sent to die for sinners like you and me because he loves us. A day of mourning for the father. That is the day of darkness. See, Amos didn't know about that day, didn't know about the day of the cross. He just was telling his people, find your security in the Lord. This side of the work of Jesus Christ, we say we do so by trusting in him. That on that day of darkness, he took all this curse for me. But there's still a day coming in the future when Jesus Christ returns. It is a day of reckoning. It is a day of no escape. But thirdly, there's a later day, a later day of restoration. Let's read 9, 11 to 15. Let's read it in two parts. There's two, two promises here, really. First in verses 11 and 12. In that day, the later day of restoration, in that day, I will restore David's fallen shelter. I will repair its broken walls and restore its ruins and will rebuild it as it used to be so that they may possess the remnant of Edom. And all the nations that bear my name, declares the Lord, who do these things. So there in verse 11 and 12, the Lord promises to restore his people. Now, uh, one or two of you, the sharpest, will notice, oh, aren't those verses quoted in the New Testament? You're correct. Uh, in Acts chapter 15, when the, there's a big council of, of, uh, of the early church, and they say, what do we do with the Gentiles? Do we let them in as sort of equals with, with the original Jewish believers? And they quote these verses and said, Amos said yes. Amos promised that the Lord would raise up a church of Jews and Edomites, or Gentiles, those outside of the covenant people. So that the tent... The, 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 the shelter, that is the, the dwelling place of all God's people, not a physical place. It's not saying that David's descendants are going to be in the marquee business. He's saying that David would have a descendant, Jesus Christ, who would unite Jew and Gentile. So Amos is predicting the church. He's predicting, of course, one of the great blessings of the Christian faith, that you can go anywhere on this planet and meet believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know how well-traveled you are. I was with a friend yesterday who's been to, uh, he clocks them up, 63 different countries now. That's not bad. Um, You know, better than most of us, I think. I asked him with this in mind, I said, and on your travels, how many countries have you met Christians in? Well, some, of course, are just flying it out. He's sort of in an airport. Uh, He used to tick them off the list. Uh, he said, oh, where I've stayed, and I've always sought out Christian company. Yeah, everywhere, I think. Everywhere. Across the Middle East, across Africa, into Asia. Everywhere. Oh, yeah, it's just a fulfillment of Amos chapter 9. Or you could just belong to a church in London and share the life and faith with people from all over the corners of the globe. You could do that here. But it is a great privilege. God's people together. All the nations that bear my name. That's what's happening now. All the nations. And then this last promise in verses 13 to 15. The promises to renew creation. Here then is a picture of heaven. The new creation. Glory. He's not saying that this is what the world is like now. It's beautiful. 
well, there's a little waste on us. I always worry about farming images in central London, but try, let's just try really hard with the farming work, okay? Okay, it's not natural. Not many of us own a garden or even a window box, but just run with it. Let's see if we can get the farming imagery here, okay? Uh, verse 13, the days are coming. This is glory. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman. You get that picture. Normally, you plant seed, and then months later, you harvest it. But this land is so fertile that the combine harvester is overtaking the seed drill. Does that work for anyone? Okay. But you get the point. Before they can harvest it, they're planting the new lot. And they just, it just, we just got so much grain. We can, you know, it's just crazy. It's crazy, crazy the pace at which things are growing. Similarly with um, the planter uh, by one treading grapes. You know, again, so uh, let's, you know, they're, they're sort of treading out the grapes. Oh, well, here's a new lot from this year's season's harvest. Well, we haven't done with last season's harvest yet. Well, normally we have to wait a year for a harvest. They're coming every two days. We're harvesting the, the, the most magnificent. Yeah, yeah, it's just incredible fertility. Fantastic. Uh, still verse 13. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from the hills. And the new wine and the new creation will make the finest vintage now taste like malt vinegar, which I hate. Be magnificent. What's his point? Exceptional blessing, fertility, wonderful, unheard of abundance, unprecedented plenty. No more austerity. No more anxiety in your personal life, finances church finances. We won't worry about deficits in the new creation, nor will the nation. Exceptional blessing. And we need to know that now because it delivers us from materialism now. We don't need to gather it all now. We will have everything and more then. Fabulous. Verse 14, I'll bring back my people Israel from exile. They will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They'll plant vineyards and drink their wine. They'll make gardens and eat their fruit. Here's the point, verse 15. I will plant Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted. Wonderful. It doesn't end. I don't know how you enjoyed this weekend. I had a terrific time. I say yesterday was a friend's 50th. Uh, so on Friday night, uh, six of us, six lads, um, we've known one another for what, 25 years. Uh, we all went to the Brecon Beacon, stayed there Friday night, and uh, went walking yesterday. What a weekend. And it's exceptionally green and fertile. You think, mm, it's not sunny like this all the year, is it? There's a lot of rain comes here to keep it this sort of color. But anyway, we were there. It just magnificent. We set off in the, early in the morning. It's us. Essentially, it's us, sunshine, 20-odd years of friendship, uh, about 50 liters of water. Um, and uh, that was it. And we just walked. And after two hours, you think, this is magnificent. But we're a little bit sweaty, actually. It's quite warm. Oh, look, a lake. It is fantastic. Was that on the map? Well, it was on the map. It's not actually a surprise. We did know it was coming. Okay, fine. But you know, I think, oh, excellent. Have a nice swim in the lake. Scare the locals. Um, and uh, uh, fish. Um, and then have a swim. Oh, that's perfect. We just cooled off. And now, okay, a little bit more climb. Oh, look at the view. Magnificent. Fantastic. Fantastic sort of, you know, day, oh, you know, as you do when you get old. You start, oh, do you remember that? And remember when we did that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When we had knees that worked and um 
Uh, and then at the end of the walk, this, we ended up just at this pub and, was, you know, had a river flowing through the garden. It was like the Garden of Eden for a pub. Which was, and you could get two pints of beer for five quid. It's like heaven. Certainly not London. And you think, this is, this is as good as it gets. Friends I've known for decades, sharing life together, all Christians actually, encouraging one another, stunning scenery. And they've been doing it today. And this morning, I got at 6.30, I was on the National Express with the weirdest bunch of collection of individuals uh, who use the 6.30 service from Chepstow. I have to tell you, there was quite a crowd, you know, you know, I was next to a, the bloke in front of me was like Gollum. He was sat there on his own. <laughs> uh, slightly scary individual. The driver asked him several times to calm down. <laughs> uh, do you think, oh, to London. Uh, and you think yesterday was magnificent and today, oh, it's the National Express at 6.30am. Not quite as exciting. Broken toilet, not quite so good. The emphasis falls at the end of Amos, never again uprooted. Wonderful abundance, exceptional company, All of the nations from around this globe, throughout history, have trusted in Jesus Christ, gathered, enjoying an abundance never seen on this planet, shared fantastically, never again uprooted. No threats to welfare, no sin to corrupt their hearts, no enemies safe. I'm ready for that day. I look forward to that day. And I am ready for that day because I've trusted in Jesus Christ and I know that when the day of reckoning and no escape comes, even though he will remember what I've done wrong, he will say, but Christ took it on the day of the cross. So Matt Fuller, you are ready for this day, this day of restoration. I'm ready for that day. You ready for the big day? You trust in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Our Father, we often don't see it in this world, but we thank you that... uh, Over and above this creation, there you are, and you're a God of justice, and there will be a day of justice. And how many around this planet need to know that you will never forget anything that's been done of the wrongs, of the crushing of the weakest by those who have much. Father, thank you that there is a day of reckoning. But thank you that through the Lord Jesus Christ and his day of darkness, his day of earthquake, that day of mourning, as you the Father mourned for your Son, thank you that on that day our sins are paid for, our selfishness, so we can look forward to a day of restoration, a day of abundance, a day that will never end. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.